Hello and welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is the Real Value Series. My name is Bill Slover, a financial advisor with Allen & Company. Today we have um, Robin Chaddock. She's Director of Marketing with Allen & Company. And a special guest, Dr. Jack Casal, MD. Uh, Dr. Casal is located in Mount Dora in Lakeland County, Florida. Uh, he completed his urologic oncology fellowship at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Dr. Casal specializes in the treatment of uro- urologic cancers, urinary incontinence, prostate enlargement, to just to name a few. Uh, Dr. Casal, welcome, and tell us a little bit more about well, yourself. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the time. I I came to Florida in uh, 1980. Uh, 87, uh, got my fellowship at, uh, for urologic oncology at that time and uh, had, a t- had a little bit of time to look around, figure out where I was going to go. And as it turns out, uh, the area, uh, Lake County, Florida, did not have anybody helping, helping out with regard to urologic oncology. There, there, it was, there was a complete void with regard to uh, urologic cancer care. So uh, I guess 34 years ago is when I, I came down here, and it's it's been uh, just an ideal place to set up shop and take care of the good people of the county. That's that's great. It's a great great story. Um, so with September being Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, let's start with what what you think every man should be aware of. And if you'll touch on some of those points. Sure. Well, uh, obviously, there are some uh, cancers that are unique to men. Uh, Prostate is one of them. And uh, prostate cancer is the second biggest cancer killer for men. And uh, it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, It's it's lung as being the the number one cancer death, uh, malignancy, and colon and prostate kind of toss it back and forth, but despite all of our efforts and early diagnosis, there's still a, a huge number of, of people, that men that, that uh, succumb to this disease. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the thought remains uh, as it had in the 1960s that, oh, ca- prostate cancer is a slow-growing disease and you'll die of something else. And the vast majority of uh, primary care physicians still feel that way, and that's what they'll tell their patients. And they won't even draw prostate blood tests or entertain the possibility of their their, uh, patients having prostate cancer past a certain age, uh, which is ludicrous because, I mean, I'll I'll find prostate cancer patients uh, in their 80s who they were completely fine when they were 83, and, and now they're 84, and they're... They're riddled with uh, metastatic disease, and this obviously could have been avoided had they been diagnosed two or three years before. So um, it's really important for men, and I, and I think that the, the problem is the, uh, the thought of, well, he's, the, the uh, doctor's going to put his finger up my butt, and, you know, that's <laughs> something that no, no man really wants to happen. You don't even have to start like that. If a guy's 50, start getting the PSA blood test just to have a big trail of, of, uh, of numbers so that we can see your, your PSA is going to go up 
well before your prostate gets a bump on it. So if you have a stable, low PSA, and then all of a sudden it goes up 30 or 40 percent, then there's cause for uh, further to, to delve into it and make sure that you're, you're okay. And uh, so that's the thing. I, the primary care physicians need to be doing the prostate blood test. And, and can I ask a question? Um, does that, you're saying it should start in the 50s or should it start before then? Yeah, and that's stratified according to uh, family history and race. Um, black guys get uh, just about twice as much prostate cancer as white guys. And if you have a family history, you should be getting your PSA at 40, not 50. And as far as uh, the black guys need to be doing it at 40, if they have a family history, 35. Okay, so um, it, is fairly er- it is fairly early then in terms of yeah. being preventative about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interestingly, uh, if you... If you take a, uh, a, a black male from Africa, in Africa, prostate cancer is unheard of. You know, what happens if you take a black male and bring him to America? What happens? Question. Anybody? I, I, boy, I'm not familiar with c- it at all. Acculturated, <laughs> other than being acculturated, I, you know, well, what does that mean as far as well, the prostate goes? Well, besides getting a, a funny movie with Eddie Murphy, uh, basically uh, it's environmental. These guys are going to start getting prostate cancer at the same rate that American uh, black males will get it. So really? there's, there's, I know, it's, is it the foods? Is it uh, a virus? Uh, we, we don't know. It's multifactorial for sure. And uh, just because your father didn't have prostate cancer doesn't mean that you're, you're you're immune to, to developing it. And uh, we're seeing more and more young people develop prostate cancer, and it's so curable in the early stages, so, just like colon cancer. So you're talking about this being very environmentally driven? Is that uh, what I'm in, hearing? In some cases, for sure. Well, that, that's, the one, that, that, that's the one situation where it's quite evident that there is some environmental impact. Now, does that mean that white guys are going to get <laughs> that they're, they're subject to the same environmental situation? We don't know. This is really uncharted territory. Wow, that's unbelievable. You know, isn't that something? That's crazy. Yeah, I was, I was not aware of those uh, statistics at all. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about tests. You talked about the PSA test, and you can explain really what that means, and maybe some other uh, tests that might be appropriate uh, when being checked for prostate cancer. Sure. Well, obviously, if if you're if the prostate blood test suddenly goes up, you have an, what we call an acceleration in the number. Then you can do a few things. Obviously, you can do a digital exam to see if there's a bump on the prostate. But even if there is not, if uh, if you want to repeat the blood test three months later to be sure that was not a, a, uh, an anomaly, uh, then you could do a, a prostate MRI test. They're getting pretty good these days, the MRIs, uh, or a prostate ultrasound with biopsy. 
that that would be the definitive way to make sure a guy doesn't have prostate cancer. So what you're saying or suggesting is to be your own health advocate and ask our, you know, a gentleman's regular MD to to do the blood panel on that? Is that what yeah, you're suggesting? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, every man on earth doesn't have to go to a urologist. But okay. I, I think that you, you're kind of, you're at the mercy of, of the primary care physician who may have a personal thought that prostate cancer is, 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 a, is a non-player in, in society. And there are, are guys that think that way. So the, the American male should have in his mind, even without a family history, when I go, when I approach 50 years old or even 40, why not do it early? It doesn't cost that much to get the prostate-specific antigen, the PSA uh, test on, on the battery of, blood, uh, of tests on their, on their uh, blood test. You know, just insist that, uh, okay, I, I want it done. Okay. If it is not getting done. Uh, and I think, you know, based on my own experience, just how incredibly important that is. And we're going to come back and touch on more of that. We're going to take a, a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a minute. And welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. Bill Slover here with Allen & Company, a financial advisor. With me uh, today is Jack, Dr. Jack Cassell and Robin Chaddock, our marketing director. And, Doctor, at the, at the break, we started talking about PSA and, and whether or not it was important. And I personally have talked to people that said, uh, well, I don't get that done. Or even in some cases where their primary said, well, unless you're having symptoms – uh, don't worry about it, and and this is so important. And if you could touch on that, I I, I know our listeners sure. would really appreciate that. No, a- absolutely. Uh, there are absolutely no symptoms to prostate cancer. The first time you know you have prostate cancer, it's spread into your bones, and you have bone pain. So you don't have urinary symptoms. You don't urinate more frequently or urgently. So. That this is a complete fallacy, and unfortunately, uh, I think the companies that want to push their drugs are, are, are telling people to go to their primary care or urologist if they have symptoms to be sure they don't have prostate cancer, and nothing could be further from the truth. not know that. Yeah. I, I've always heard that there is that um, need to maybe urinate more often, and that's possibly a symptom of this. So this is the first time, I, and I know obviously I'm not a male, but... You do think about those things. That's, that's sure. frightening, the lack of information and out there. What it, what it is, bladder cancer has urinary symptoms. You'll have irritative symptoms, urgency, frequency, mm-hmm. burning, blood in the urine. But none of that occurs with prostate cancer until the late stages. Wow. Yeah, and you know, in, in my particular case... Uh, it, or anybody who doesn't know, I had prostate cancer, and and it was just a um, an annual physical. That was just something I did, and and the PSA test was was all part of that. Um, so, Doctor Cassell, if prostate cancer is suspected through PSA or the the, um, the physical exam, uh, what are the next steps? Well, depending on the situation. 
you can do a, an MRI of the prostate, or you can do uh, a prostate ultrasound with biopsies, which in this, in this arena, we, we, we kind of treat it like a colonoscopy. I think in the old days, it was done in the office, and frankly, it's kind of barbaric to, it's like having a colonoscopy in the office. It, it, it's very unsettling. It's uncomfortable. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, psychologically, uh, patients can faint on the table because of, <laughs> of the trauma that's involved. So you go to sleep for five to ten minutes, and all of the information, the size of the prostate, pictures that uh, show the prostate deeper than the finger can feel, and then some needle biopsies along the back part of the prostate. Uh, and what I, I tend to do is I'll do a prostate block. I'll, I'll put some long-acting Novocaine behind the prostate. It takes about one minute to do. So when the patient wakes up, they don't feel that anything happened. And that, that's kind of, I think, what most urologists are starting to do these days. It's the more humane way to do it. And then you can assure your patient yeah, we got your biopsies back, and, oh, your prostate, uh, the larger your prostate is, the higher the PSA can be. And uh, they, we have a volume number, and we can figure what the expected PSA is from a prostate that size. And, it, and the person, if they don't have cancer, can be followed with a lot more uh, just intelligent decision-making making at that point. Decision-making in terms of their treatments? Yeah, just uh, to say, okay, well, your PSA was 5, but your, uh, your prostate was 50 cc volume, so your expected PSA can be anywhere from 5 to 7.5. So we will expect that you will accelerate a little bit more. Your PSA might go up, uh, you know, 50% over the next few years, and, and that doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're developing prostate cancer, you're just perhaps coming up to snuff. Your prostate is starting to make a little bit more of this PSA enzyme that it hadn't been before. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. I, I have okay. a question. Do you, you sure. just mentioned that the treatment is, is traumatizing um, in terms of, you know, testing. Do you think that that prohibits people from going and yes. getting checked? I mean, what yes. if you had to, you know, put it on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank that? You know, I've heard it's like this, so I'm not, you know, I don't feel anything, I'm not going. What would, where yeah. would you? I mean, I think it, it, it could be pretty close to a 10. I've uh, had prostate ultrasound and biopsies myself uh, under local anesthesia and kind of knowing what was going on it was not a benefit to me <laughs> by any means, yeah. but certainly if, uh, if you go through it once and it hurts because the local anesthetic didn't work properly, which is not, not a rare uh, occurrence, uh, you're not going to do it again. Wow. You know, and you may, that may uh, provide for a late diagnosis if you, if you have to have a second biopsy. So sure, we, there should not be any fear for it's 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 embarrassing. It's traumatizing to get a prostate ultrasound and biopsy awake. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and you know on the the issue. So, um, if prostate cancer um, it, it's determined through through biopsy, uh, any other testing, um, 
Where do, where do you typically go from there with a patient? Okay, again, uh, it's very individualized. It's, uh, it's not really uh, a cookbook. If, uh, depending on if someone has prostate cancer, you have to look to see how old is the patient, uh, what does the cancer look like under the microscope, um, is, it, is it an aggressive type, uh, is there a lot of cancer, does it appear that it might be at a later stage than just localized, uh, does it look like the cancer might be trying to get through the prostate, um, it depends if the uh, patient is sexually active, if the uh, patient's 85 or is he 55. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of uh, ifs and ands, and that's, the urologist needs to be able to just lay it out there and uh, say, okay, you're, you're 40 years old. I mean, you have your whole life ahead of you. You, you don't want to lose your ability to get an erection. Uh, you're, do you, you chance leaking urine for the rest of your life? Uh, <laughs> there there are, are many treatments now, and there are very, very, great, very good minimally invasive treatments available. And the, typically, the uh, patient had two choices. And in fact, if you went to Moffitt, you have prostate cancer. You're going to be offered two things, radiation and surgery. That's it. Are you going to get an ablative treatment like the ones that I do, uh, which we will talk about at some point soon? Uh, no, they don't offer it. The, the, uh, the price that you pay for being cured is the possibility of leaking and being impotent. That's, that's the way it's seen by tertiary referral center urologists. Yeah, and I wanted to go back to uh, when you, if you do uh, a biopsy and then it's, you, you get um, um, a test that is either positive or negative. And, and we're going to take another quick break here in just a minute. But one of the things I'd like to, you, uh, for you to address, if you could, was the genomic testing that's done in addition to the initial biopsy is so we're going to go ahead and take just a couple-minute break here, and then uh, I'd like to touch on that if that's all right with you. Great. All right. Thanks. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back with, with uh, Beyond Dollars and Cents. Uh, with me in the studio today is Robin Chaddock, our mar- Director of Marketing, and Dr. Jack Cassell. Um Dr. Cassell, we left off when we were talking about, I, I wanted to talk about genomic testing when you have a biopsy done. And if you could explain what that is and, and really what the importance of that would be. Sure. Uh, generally speaking, when, when you get a prostate biopsy, the pathologist is going to look at the specimen. And the first thing that he says is yes, it's cancer, or no, it is not cancer. But, and if he says it's, it's cancer, then he looks a little further, and he looks under the microscope to see uh, the different cellular characteristics to say whether or not it looks aggressive or not aggressive. If it doesn't look like it's particularly aggressive, is there a reason to, to treat prostate cancer uh, aggressively or could a person live with it 
for the remainder of their natural life because it looks non-aggressive. Okay, so that there there, are, there is ge genomic studies to to look at those that issue. The uh, the problem is <laughs> that they, it is not a hundred percent. Okay, um, if somebody has what appears to be non-aggressive disease and the, report, the genomic report suggests there's a 93% chance that it will, that it will not be metastatic in, within a 10-year period. Well, maybe a 75-year-old man will go, okay, I'll take my chances with it. But I can tell you time and time again, I've seen people with a non-aggressive cancer progress to a more aggressive cancer after a few years, despite a a non a a, 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 a a good report suggesting that it's not an aggressive disease, so it's not a hundred percent. And frankly, with the minimally invasive techniques that we have these days, I don't see any reason on earth to to wait and see if it becomes aggressive. You're going to be getting PSAs every six months or so. You're going to repeat biopsies, and this is going to be hanging over a patient's head. I have cancer. Uh, want to make sure it's not changing. It's not uh, transforming into an aggressive type, so I've got to stay on top of it. Where And why? They're, they're trying to avoid having a treatment that is either going to make them impotent or incontinent. That's generally why someone would try to do this. It's called active surveillance. Active surveillance is looking and just staying on top of it. You don't have to do anything right now, but there's a chance that it's going to start popping anytime. So with HIFU or cryoablation or something that does not cause any of these sequelae, these complications from treatment, why, why sit on it? Yeah, and I'm I'm in agreement with you on that. Uh, of course, depending on on your age, I suppose. But so let's talk about the different treatment options that are uh, available, and um, and um, whether you're in favor of them or not. The different treatment options are available, and what's involved with those treatments. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, tr uh, again, traditionally. You have radiation or surgery. Uh, surgery has changed. Instead of it being blood and guts, uh, open incision uh, surgery, it, about 20 years ago, uh, da Vinci robotic surgery uh, came about in which it was like uh, second-generation laparoscopy. Uh, there are just a few little uh, portholes, and the surgeon is looking inside and uh, Basically, I can tell you right now, this, it's the same operation. It's just that there's less, smaller incisions. So you're still taking a prostate out and having to uh, reassemble the bladder to the sphincter. And so it's, it's still wrought with danger and intrigue. Okay. Radiation is the other, the other way most – it's either radiation or surgery in most camps – the radiation has changed from just plain old external beam to seed implantation to something called IMRT, which 
kind of tries to decrease uh, burning everything in its path. Uh, so, in, so basically, uh, radiation morphs, and as soon as uh, the 10-year, 15-year data comes out, then they develop a new way to, uh, to sell it. So I'm not a radiation fan. There is a role for it, uh, and we can discuss that later on. But um, I, 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 did, I did radical prostatectomy uh, for about 20 years and uh, took care of well over 1,000 uh, men in that regard. Um, and I, I think that it's a, a better way to go than radiation. Surgery is an art form where you look and you you touch and you see, and it's uh, basically I, I, the the cure rates are higher than with radiation. Uh, I I like ablative treatments where you can destroy tissue, and you can do that with cold, and you can do that with with heat, and uh, either way. It is it's much less traumatic. It's an outpatient procedure with either of those therapies, and we can talk to talk to you about them. And the other ways to go besides uh, active surveillance is hormonal therapy. Uh, an 85-year-old uh, non-sexually active guy, we can we can just basically use pulse therapy, give some hormones. Uh, withdraw therapy for three months, give a little bit more, and we can actually put the cancer on a back burner for many years to come. So depending on the patient and his lifestyle and his general overall medical condition, um, it's, it's really a very individualized de decision. Yeah, there's certainly a lot more options available today than we had even a decade ago. Um, so, in speaking of those treatments, um, you have discussions with your patients, and what are the main things that you focus on when determining the best course of treatment for that individual? I, I kind of kind of eyeball the whole situation, and uh, it all depends on what the what the patient wants. You you can put out. Like all of all of the therapies I mentioned, and just kind of get an idea of where they're at, what they want done. Do they want anything done? Uh, do they basically is is, is their sex life, sex life more important than than even life itself? Some people will not do anything in order to maintain their sex life during the remainder of their life. Uh, so uh, it, it really depends on, and, and basically you don't know what a person's, you really don't know what they're thinking about until you actually have this conversation. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a difficult decision, I know. And, and one of the procedures that you uh, utilize uh, is called HIFU, which is, uh, I believe it's high-intensity focus ultrasound. And we're going to take one more break, and we come back from that break. I'd really like to talk a little more at length about that procedure. So we sure. will be right back. Thank you. And we are back with Beyond Dollars and Cents. And again, with me today in the studio is Robin Chaddock, our Director of Marketing, and Dr. Jack Casal. And 
doctor, when we, we before we went on break, I talked about a procedure uh, called HIFU, uh, which is an acronym for High Intensity Focus Ultrasound. This was fascinating to me, and I know that you use this in your practice. And if you could ex, um, explain how that is done and and the the um, the eff- efficacy of that. Uh, I'm sure our listeners who have a, an interest in this uh, would, would really love to hear it. Okay, sure. It's, it's really the most exciting treatment uh, for prostate cancer uh, ever. Uh, it is actually less invasive than getting the prostate biopsies. And there's almost no incidence of impotence, incontinence, or downtime. A patient can get up and just about do anything but horseback ride the next day. (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I had a patient who uh, actually got in his jet ski, uh, and he actually had to come back to me to have a catheter placed. (laughs) But uh, he didn't didn't bleed. There's no bleeding. Uh, Hemodynamically, uh, patients are basically just... Uh, have anesthesia for a period of time, and you wake up, and no blood loss, uh, no pain. Uh, it's really magic, <laughs> and uh, I've been I've been doing uh, HIFAVE for about 15 years now. Uh, when it was not FDA approved, we were going to other countries: uh, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Bahamas, and uh, I would bring my patients. We meet me at the office and we'd ride down to the airport together and on a Friday and we'd come back on a Sunday, get it done. Uh, but uh, for the last seven years, it's been FDA approved. And as of this January, it's going to be reimbursed by Medicare. So there's no reason for anybody to be doing active surveillance or contemplating the other two uh, uh, traditional modalities without at least looking at HIFU. Uh, basically, it's a little transducer that goes in the rectum, and it does a couple things. It, uh, it has an ultrasound uh, mode, and it looks at the prostate just like the ultrasound uh, would for a biopsy uh, for about three seconds, and you basically plan out what part of the prostate you want uh, destroyed, and it's it's done with heat. Uh, for three seconds, a, a high-intensity focused beam of ultrasound will come back out and kill a piece of prostate the size of a grain of rice. Now, uh, the rectum is not hurt. It's kind of like if you had a, a magnifying glass and you went outside and you burned a piece of paper. The, the, the beam is, is not hot near the magnifying glass, but there's a focal point and that's, that's what HIFU does. Uh, the, the whole thing is in the planning. You plan uh, to kill either a little piece of prostate, maybe one biopsy was positive. You go there with a large margin, and you would just kill that area, treat it, heat it, uh, or you would uh, the entire prostate. And you can get within a millimeter of the neurovascular bundles on either side, which uh, aid in which... Uh, you know, cause the erection. Uh, you can stay totally away from the on and off the sphincter, which which is why there's almost no erect or uh, incontinence. Um, it's it's a beautiful procedure, it really is. And 
the cure rates are equal to surgery. Is this considered an outpatient surgery yeah, procedure? It's absolutely. So it, wow. If, uh, now, if you go anywhere, they'll tell you it's experimental, but it's not. It's been it's been used in uh, in first in Japan and then the UK for about 25 years ago, and then uh, so it was in in play for about 10 years when I when I first uh, found it, and uh, since then the technology has changed for the better all the time making it more precise and there's just there's no bad there's no downside to it when when you found this procedure how many other physicians uh urologists would you say were using this in our country and probably doing the same thing you were doing going well we kind of knew each other because we would all kind of uh we would go to Actually, some of the guys from the West Coast would go to Toronto to get it done. But in Florida and generally, uh, I think uh, the Northeast even, they would all come to uh, Mexico. or uh, So we'd all know each other. Kind of. And then we would have yearly meetings. There's, there, was, there's, there was maybe the last time we had a meeting pre-COVID, we, there was about 35 of us. Wow. And, uh, yeah, there's a handful in Florida. There's about three, three, four guys in Florida, uh, and uh, it's just so the, in the this problem. Whole, so in this whole country, you're saying that there's approximately <laughs> 35 specialists who are right. doing this procedure that has such a outstanding high cure rate, is not a shaming process, and. There's no right. downtime, and there's only 35 right. of you. Right. Now, it's, there's, it's, a, there's a pretty, it's a very, very technically difficult thing to do, and a lot of guys don't want to start over. A lot of urologists have an interest in a radiation center, mm-hmm. and a lot of urologists are, are, are robot trained, and they just don't want to start at the bottom of the scrotum pole again. For lack of a better way to, hey. to define, great analogy. Thank you for right. sharing. <laughs> but Quite a visual at that. <laughs> you didn't you know, need to it, add that part. <laughs> oh. so, I mean, I'm serious. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate, and but that's that's the truth. And uh, but they're going to have to because it's going to be it's patient driven. Yeah. And if they're not, you know, I don't want to do uh, surgery because I want to do HIFU. And all of a sudden, they're going to go, well, yeah, maybe I should get, uh, you know, get proctored. And that's kind of what I do is I, I had proctored uh, urologists. Uh, I have not proctored anybody in about three years. Uh, they just don't – there's no interest. But there will be uh, in January when, when their patients Thank decide you. that that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the cost certainly is something uh, that, that's a factor. And – the fact that you mentioned that uh, um, uh, Medicare will uh, start to uh, embrace that from a cost standpoint indicates that there's 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 going to be probably a much larger surge in this, I would think. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but again, it's, then I'm going to have to try to figure out how, you know, to, to proctor how many? I think I think the uh, the Da Vinci robot is a difficult thing to learn how to do, um, and I think they have to be proctored. And there's a learning the learning curve is very steep, uh, 
but it's just as steep doing uh, HIFU. Uh, you require an engineer to be there to look a second set of eyes to be looking at the ultrasound images to make sure the machine is working properly because it's it's just incredibly precise and it has to be we have to everything has to be working perfectly for it to work so there's there this is a i think a point in time when traditional treatment for prostate cancer will change the radiation will be used uh if 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 there's extensive disease, if HIFU or radical prostatectomy leaves some of the disease around the prostate where the cancer is spread, then uh, what they call adjuvant radiotherapy, a little touch-up radiation or clean-up radiation will be indicated. It's, it's not going to be a primary therapy any longer. And then as far as surgery is concerned, some prostates are a little too big to be treated for, with HIFU. Um, if you're a, if you're a surgery a surgical candidate, you're a high food candidate for the most part. That's fascinating. And you mentioned that the size of the prostate is one of the uh, determining factors whether this uh, the high food process uh, procedure would be appropriate. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, because it is. Uh, it takes a while. But if you're treating focally, if you if you're going to treat an entire prostate then the size of the prostate matters more. If you're going to treat a third or even less of the prostate for low-volume disease, then it really doesn't matter how big it is. Mm. So my guess is then that the majority of HIFU patients would be probably on the younger side. Is that a, a fair guess? Not so much. You know, it's kind of weird, but uh, most patients who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer have smaller prostates. And I think just about every, every urologist uh, has noticed that fact. Uh, there are some that are, are fairly large, but invariably they're, they're on the smaller side, less than 50 cubic centimeter volume. So uh, that's still 50 is a little bit large for full volume treatment because you figure, uh, what we figure is for every 10 cc's of volume, that's about an hour of treatment. Oh, wow. Or, or thereabouts. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the recovery rate, and I'll, I'll share with the audience my own experience because I will also share that I had the HIFU procedure. Uh, I believe I had it on a Tuesday as an outpatient. Went home, uh-huh. there's some recovery from the anesthesia, a little, uh, a little discomfort. You have a, a suprapubic tube for uh, urination coming out below your belly button. But all that having been said, I was I, I completed that on a Tuesday. I was there, I had it done, uh, and I was home that evening. And so that was on a Tuesday, and I was back in the office on Friday thinking, well, well let me get a few things done. And, <laughs> you know, I wound up pretty much staying the whole day, uh, still adjusting to, you know, the procedure and, and, and some of those things. But, um, yeah, and I'm not going to advocate that for everybody, but right. that was my personal experience. And, uh, Dr. Cassell, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us on the show. I think this is insightful. People always ask, why are you talking about things other than money and investing? And, <laughs> frankly, for me, it's because health does equal wealth. 
Um, and and, and if we can share these things, it's great. And I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. And we will share this with a lot of people, and it, and it will make a difference. And also so you know, um, one of your patients that I had referred to is, um, is a, extremely pleased. So, oh, that's great. I want to thank you and Robin for uh, giving me the time to talk about it a bit. We enjoyed having you so much. And again, this is uh, Beyond Dollars and Cents. My name is Bill Slover. I'd like to once again thank Dr. Jack Casal and Robin for joining me today. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.